Well, hey there, folks. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show. Today is one of my favorite episodes. I've got my boy, Josh Tomlin, World Series champion with the Atlanta Braves, back on the show. And this is just two dads, two self-improvers, two people who drive our wives crazy because of our minds constantly spinning out of control about 900 projects at once, just covering an array of topics, everything from him being a cheer dad, thank goodness I I escaped that title, to Theo Vaughn and Dana White discussing uh, free speech, to mindsets, always going to come into a conversation with Josh, as well as a whole host of other topics. I mean, we just, you know, our minds are kind of like brains skipping over a, a pond. <laughs> it just, it just, you never know where, where this conversation is going to go. But uh, as always, there's a lot of wisdom and, and just nuggets of, of good, good advice and, and great stories with Josh. It's always such a fun, fun time having him on the show. And so I hope you enjoy being a fly on the wall during this conversation with my buddy, uh, former Major League Baseball player and incredible friend and fellow East Texan, Josh Tomlin. I hope you are having a great day and remember to always improve, always in always. Enjoy the show. Tomlin, what's up, dude? What's up, Mr. Jason? So here we are. I mean, so all morning, just so the people know that uh, I basically have wasted an entire hour of Josh's morning. <laughs> no, you haven't. No, you haven't. Try, this is the very first episode that we are recording in a very rough, not yet complete studio. So, you know, Tomlin, I'm glad to have you as my first buddy. I, I'm glad to be the first. Yeah, they say is, they, they, uh, you never really forget cool. your first. That's right. That's right. They do say that. Yeah. And you don't. No. You really don't. You don't. <laughs> yeah. So, so I appreciate you being here. So what have you been up to? I mean, look, okay. So let me just kind of bust your balls a little bit and kind of yeah. re and, and kind of bring the audience back up to speed. You know, there was supposed to be a podcast that was your mine and your podcast. And, yes. And yet You've been too busy. You know, you just you, you, you're see. Too, that's that's not true. That's not true. I haven't too been busy too busy for me. I've just been sitting. I'm tr so now I'm trying to build out a studio. Go, man. Whatever it takes. Hey, listen. That could all still be in the works, right? But it's I've I've kind of dropped the ball on that. Being quite honest with you, I get really tied up into like trying to do this baseball thing right now. This baseball academy, and all my time has been kind of spent towards that and giving lessons and trying to understand what I want to do since retirement. And um, Plus, you've gotten you've gotten big time. The Jason Rice Show is kind of taking off, and you get all these new guests, all these cool guests. Like, I get it, dude. It's, it's life happens. Can I tell you something? Yes. It's kind of funny. It's, I'm so glad that you said that. So, there's a, a guy that's been on the show. I'm not going to drop any names here, okay? Right. Because I don't want anybody. Because I don't want to piss anybody off. But one of my friends, who's a great dude, very successful guy, he's been on the podcast, and I saw where one of his friends has just released a book. Now, mind you, I've had Dr. Gadsad on, Michael Eads, Mike Thornton, you know, was one of the very first Navy SEALs, Medal of Honor winner. I've had some, you know, these guys, New York Times some bestsellers. Dudes, right, some yeah. dudes, some goods. Okay. So I see that my buddy is friends with this guy, Navy SEAL, unbelievably successful investor, and, um, and, and he's just written a book. And I ordered the book this morning, and I can't wait to read it. But I reach out to this guy and I'm like, hey, I see we're a mutual friend of this guy. I said, and I see your new books out. I would love and be honored to have you on the show. You know what he said? He's very kind, 
but in not so many words, he said, you know what, right now I get more requests than I have time for. And so I limit it to people with really big audiences and it just doesn't look like you're quite there yet. So no. Yet. Yet. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh man, you know, just, just the rejection. But here's the deal. You know what made me feel good about that? And let this be a lesson to anyone out there listening that it doesn't matter. Like when you start to think you're making traction, then there's always somebody bigger and better. And there's also a lot of people that don't know it. And so I had two ways to respond to this. To either one, do what my initial response was to just go sit in the fetal position and cry. (laughs) thinking, God, you know, I just freaking suck, you know, (laughs) or respond back to the guy very honorably and say, and I did, I said, understood but I did order your book this morning. Can't wait to read it. Keep doing good. Cause this guy is an absolute stud and he'll be on the show one day. We'll get him. And then I replied back. I said, Hey, but you know what, by the way, I happen to know, uh, Jay Al, who is James Altucher's, uh, producer. And, you know, Altucher has one of the biggest podcast audiences in the country, in the world. You know, he's, he's an OG of the podcast. I said, I would love to connect you. So anyway, I can help you. And, when, and after you've made the rounds with the big guys, please give your publicist my number. I would love to have you on. But, you know. See, that, that to me should mean more. That to me would mean more in an aspect of where, that's got, where this guy's kind of came from and the, the, you know, the um, resume that he's already built. That oh, yeah. would mean more to me in the long run. And I'd want to be able to go on. I'd want to go on the show and talk to someone like you. Plus, what people probably don't understand is what, who get those requests is – they probably don't understand, like, you just like, I'm just like any, anybody else. Like, I want yeah. to be able to get to that point one day. Yep. And I don't get to that point by not having guys on my show. Like, I'm going to, like, but I think Jordan says it, like, guys like Kobe and Jordan, like, shoot or shoot. Like, That's they're right. going to miss their shots, but they're going to shoot and try to get that shot. Right. And I think it's cool that you even shoot that shot because eventually one of these guys will be on the show, right? And that's yep. that's what's going to propel the Jason Rice show is big from where it started. Let's be real honest. <laughs> it's a little, it's growing a little bit. It has, and you're doing a lot of great things. So I, I think you keep, you know, shooting that shot and trying to get those guys on there because once they come on the show and understand who you are, it's going to be a whole different story. Like you'll get a yeah. bunch more guys like that coming on. I think so. You know, do you know Alex Carmosi? Do you ever look at any of his I, stuff? I've, I've heard, heard of the name. No. no. Okay. All right. So I posted a video and I think I actually ran it as just a, a monologue show uh, and basically entitled it first you gotta admit you suck and I admit it on the show I suck and here's what he was saying and I, and I don't suck completely I suck at some things but what he was talking to Chris Williamson about and by the way Chris Williamson is a guy that has become kind of like the British Tim Ferriss I mean that dude has blown up especially if you look at the trajectory my buddy James Quandall shows me this all the time of how these people just come out of nowhere and like Andrew Huberman you know this is a neuroscientist from Stanford that now is like one of the top podcasters ever. Okay, he's huge, and he's a great guy. I listen to his show. It's like, why? where did he come from? The Joe Rogan effect is Lex Friedman. All these guys, if you look at what really launches them when they, they become a guest on Rogan's show, which is kind of obvious, makes sense, right? Right, right. Then they become huge. Well, um, Alex Hermosi was talking about how all these people are, are posers, and the reason why, they think that they deserve success, and they wonder why they're not getting it, and, and all this stuff. And he's like, no, the first thing you have to do is admit you suck and get better. It, and and I, I put in this little monologue, and I posted to my YouTube channel, that you know I have faced the fact that the market does not owe me anything. That guy that I reached <laughs> out to, 
He doesn't owe me an interview. That's right. What the hell have I done for him? Who That's is right. Jason Wright? No, and and also, and this is one of the things too that I'm so respectful of uh, is that whenever you ask somebody to come on the show, it's like time is the single most valuable non-renewable resource that any of us have, mm -hmm. right? And so I try my best to be humble. I, I'm literally asking for a piece of somebody's life. And so, and it's, and to me, it's like, I got two, two, two choices in that situation. And I appreciate what you said, because that, that's the way I looked at it. It's like, I can either get pissed or I can go and go back to the plate and say, all right, brother, I'm not there yet. You're right, but I'm going to yeah. get there. And I hope that you will remember me. And I did, I said, you know, give your publicist my contact information. Whenever you've been to all the bigger podcasts, you know, you'll probably grab about 50,000 downloads. You can probably sling some books on my, right. my show, but Hey, I'm here and I'm honored when you're ready. But that, I mean, that kind of relates to baseball in a sense of like where my, my arena kind of was, was like baseball doesn't know anybody, anything, right? There's, there's a saying in baseball, that there are those who are humble and those who are soon to be humbled yeah. because it's a hard game. Right. And every single year there's 19 year olds, 20 year olds, 18 year olds, 17 year olds getting drafted that are younger than you, that are better than you. So baseball doesn't owe you Jack Diddley. Right. <laughs> and they, they never will. Like the best of the best are the reason they're the best because kind of what you said earlier is like these people come out of nowhere. Well, that I'm not really sure they come out of nowhere. It's just that they're able to say I suck right now or I'm not there yet. And they go, okay, I'm going to keep, you know, staying the course, doing what I'm doing until the point where I'm not that way anymore. Yeah. I am getting the big podcasters. I am getting the big audiences. I am getting, you know, I am throwing in front of 50,000 people instead of 4,000 in Myrtle beach, you know, wherever. Right. Um, I think that's where, I, th I think is what's really cool about what you're doing is because I've done the exact same thing of like coming from absolutely nothing at a White House high school to, you know, not being the best player on that team, not being the best player on my college team, not being the best player on my minor leagues team. But you keep staying the course, you keep working, you keep grinding, you never look too far in the future, you never, you know, dwell on the past. You just kind of stay in the present as much as you can and say, okay, this is the guy I want, I'm going to shoot my shot. Yeah. You know, this is what I want, I'm going to go work out this morning, I'm going to go do um, what I have to do, I'm going to try to, you know, craft my skill today. I'm going to try to be 1% better. Yeah. And then that kind of progresses over time where it's like, oh, well, crap. Look how big Jason Wright's show is now. Well, where did he come from? Well, if you look at the past five years, the past 10 years of whatever, however long it takes, this is why the, the body of work tells you why yeah. he is where he is. That's the consistency of it. Yeah. And I think that, that bodes well in, in anything we do in life is if you can stay consistent doing anything, you're probably going to get results out of it. Yeah. I, I hope so. And, you know, it, what you said is ex one of the things that Darren McMains that I told you about, I interviewed yesterday, mm -hmm. a former Major League Baseball player, now um, mental uh, coach, I guess. What was, what's the mental strength coach is what he is, which is so cool because I, I told somebody that I interviewed him this morning on a walk, and he's like, what is that? But you had told me that in, in professional sports, like – the, the 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 meditation rooms and oh, mindfulness the, and the breathing and techniques all, to, it's become the, so big oh the the cold the cold tanks like the, the me watching all this cold thing kind of take off now is like i was doing that before uh you know when what was what who said it like i was country before country was cool right, that, yeah. whatever that is but cold Barbara Mandrell, were, baby right, yeah like that that kind of like um <laughs> yeah. you are from my <laughs> right but like we we were having to do that back you know in low A, high A, 2006, 7, 8, like those, those, um, that time period, like doing it because of what it taught us to breathe through, what it taught us to accept, like how to slow your heart rate down, how to do these things. And, um, the recovery method too, like we're playing every single day. So like all that stuff is like, <clears throat> it's 
really cool to see the mental side of all, well, not just in sports in general, but like watching it come into baseball because it wasn't really talked about a lot on the mental side of it. They were trying to do it more for recovery, but understanding that like, um, you know, Brandon Geyer, if you had mm-hmm. on the show, um, he was real big on it, like how he talked about breathing. And then we got a lady in named C.C. Clark, Cecilia Clark, who was with the military, came in as a mental strength and conditioning coach, uh, mental skills coach is what we called her. And it was listening to how she would tell us to like, hey, stop stop using a different glove because you did bad or stop using different socks because you did bad or this. Like, and then kind of correlating it all to like how – what your mindset was and how you do things on a consistent basis to staying, staying consistent throughout the course because you have 162 day games in 178 days. Like to be able to put too much stock into what you're doing is going to veer from the course a little bit. Then bring us all back in and teach us the breathing techniques of like what she taught her military and stuff was like, holy crap, like never understood the, the, the value of a breath mm-hmm. of how to breathe. Like you can just go up there and breathe and like you're going to, you're going to be short shortness of breath or, the game's going to speed up on you or, you know, you're going to not get as much energy out of your throw or energy out of your swing. And understanding all that stuff is, like, really, really freaking cool. And um, watching, like, guys like Brandon Geyer and Darren, Darren, like the guy you interviewed the other day, come out of baseball and to be able to get back into that arena is, to me, really, really freaking cool. And it, it tells me something about what these $13 billion industry of baseball, how it values the mental side of, of, of the, the sport, which is not – what you would think, guys, you don't see Mike Trout and, you know, these big, you know, huge names thinking like, oh, this dude's a mental genius. Right. Like, he's got to be – no, you look at the physical aspect of him, right. like, he's a stud. But it all correlates, right? And to see that value being put on the mental side of it is really cool to me. You know, it's one of those things that, like, today, whenever I had that – and look, I'm, I'm susceptible to the, the, the hurt and the feelings and being that little kid mm-hmm. again of rejection. You know, rejection impacts me at 48 probably – just like it did whenever I was eight, you know, 40 years ago. But the thing is, what you just said is having the tools to deal with it is so much different. I was able to process it and first of all, take the kind of Michael Gervais, Sam Harris approach of why do I feel what I'm feeling right now? And it was because I felt like everything I had done, all of these stupid, like you coming up here to this studio and trying to piecemeal and figure out microphones and all this stuff. Somebody just said, yeah, but you're just not good enough. Yeah. All the hard work and all the traveling that I did in those early podcasts, traveling around and figuring out, and then somebody going, yeah, good job, but you're not good enough. And, 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 and developing like what we've talked about on the show before you and I, which I think you are an exemplary example of a growth mindset of saying, you know, I, I'm not there yet. Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. it's, it's that yet thing. And so I think that's one of the things that I've learned. And I know I learned a lot of that talking from, to you about your career. I mean, uh, I mentioned that, I think I mentioned in the interview whenever I was talking about you, I was like, you know, Josh Tomlin is a guy that said, yeah, I was never supposed to be in the big leagues. You know, mm-hmm. I, I threw the ball 86 miles per hour. I just knew exactly. So I just focused on making it look like it was coming faster right, than right. it was. <laughs> and you worked with what you had. And it was like, and that's the, the attitude I've tried to have. Because there was a time in my life, man, I would just, I had such a fixed mindset that I would be like, if you reject me, dude, I'm just, I do suck. I'm out. I would just Mm -hmm. sit and mope and ruminate, which ruminating is the worst thing you can ever do, right? You have to change your state. And so, but anyway, it's funny you said that about the Jason Wright show, because 
this very morning. But here I am with my buddy Josh Tom, right. freaking World Series champion. So and doing what you love to do too. Like, exactly, right? like, exactly. And 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 I'll tell you one of the things when that dude does come around, and because he when when his and what's going to be funny. So a lot of these publicists who have reached out to me to have their authors that they represent. I've never, I didn't even know like a great example was Dr. Gad Sad, who's, you know, best-selling author, huge guy that's all over, uh, all over the place, very influential on Rogan, like nine different times. Right. His publicist reach out, reaches out to me and says, Hey, you know, Dr. Sad has a new book uh, coming out. Um, you know, would you be interested in having him on the show? And I'm like, of course. That'd be, <laughs> you know, and so literally he was on Rogan the week before he was on my show. And so, my hope is that in a serendipitous fashion, this guy's publicist will go, hey, by the way, what do you think about doing the Jason Wright show? You right, know, and right. he'll, go, he'll go, oh, well, okay. And you know what? Very humbly, I'll be like, to me, I could sit there and be like, ha, that's right. That's right, yeah, jackass. You come could, on. You but I'll be like, heck no, what a freaking honor. And man, dude, why should you? It's I, Again, it's taking ownership and saying, the reason why you don't think my show is big enough is because I haven't Put in enough reps quite yet, but I'm going to keep taking those shots. And that's, the, that's the growth mindset, I think, that you've, that you've talked about you have now of, like, accepting rejection and not necessarily hating rejection anymore. It's almost like I kind of like – Oh. And, and, I, and I like the rejection aspect of it too. Like, to me, be, me, be being told, like, every single spring training after pitching a full year in the big leagues and having pretty good success, like, not, not all-star success, obviously, but pretty good success, enough to earn a spot, right? Every single spring training, I'd get the, the manager would come up to me, the GM would come up to me, like, hey, you got to earn your spot again. Okay, good. Yeah. It, every spring training, I'd come out of there probably more ready than everybody else because I knew what I had to do to be ready to go in spring training, I had to fight for a job. Right. And it was never handed to me, right? You, you, I had to earn every pitch I ever got in the big leagues. And just like you, you're having to earn every interview that you've ever gotten. And that's a, that to me is more, there's more satisfaction behind that whenever that finally does happen of like, you don't ever have to be like, man, told you. Yeah. It's like, they know, yeah. right? They understand. Like, maybe I shouldn't have said, uh, you have to earn this spot. You already earned it, but you're, you're having to, basically fight for it and not everybody had to fight for they do coming in they could they could take spring training to go oh you know what i'm just gonna get ready for the season i'll be ready when april 3rd happens or 4th happens we'll kind of skate through spring training and then next thing you know it's like well the wheels are falling off a little bit because i wasn't quite ready wouldn't competing my balls off <laughs> right. spring training trying to get ready you know right and that's kind of where um like the you know understanding that you're earning all these interviews that you're getting is like when you finally do get it you don't have to say anything you just be ready for it and that's yeah, it is what it is, but that's kind of what I like about the rejection aspect of all that. You know, and just, I happen to think about this when you were talking because I kind of I mentioned, you know, because you knew a Barbara Mandrell song. Yeah, you're from White House, and you mentioned you know, I've been from White House. But you know what, White House is is pretty a pretty good place to call, to call to be born, right? Okay, so we got I'm sitting here talking to a guy that is a World Series champion from White House, Texas. Uh, our our you know District One congressional representative Nathaniel Moran. He is from White House, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got what's that guy's name? He plays <laughs> for the Chiefs. Uh, something um, uh, Mahomes. Yeah, something, something like that. Something yeah. like that. Uh, so White House is kind of uh, AJ Minter. AJ, there you Ro- go. Ro- Ro- That's right. That's right. So you know, so look, you guys, they they grow them well. Now I yeah. want to ask you this because I don't. I've met Patrick once at his grandma's house out in White House, <laughs> uh, and and here's and by the way, so. This is my my claim to fame. So 
his second cousin, you know, is 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 a I want I want to say his name just in case, just to be, be very respectful. But his first cousin is uh, is Emma Harrington. Grew up with my daughters, and she had a baby this year. And I am Patrick Mahomes' second cousin's unofficial grandfather. I have there, there I'm his big noodle. That's, <laughs> That's what. That's right. So I just want to say that you know I I at least have that good cutest sweetest baby so Jimlin and I he is like the grandchild that we don't have yet but oh, see that's awesome oh it's so it's so fun and so all right so let me ask you this you know Patrick a little bit how much of his success do you think comes from talent versus mindset oh Just, mindset I think I think for for one he's very very talented like let's let's not it's called spade to spade like the dude is talented right, right, right. but to be able to do some of the things that he does in the NFL, I think that there was a play that happened last week where he got hit, and um, he was his he was kind of tangled underneath the, the lineman had him by his legs, and just the pure like he's not stronger than that lineman that had him, right? right he's right, not, but right. in that moment, his instincts kicked in and his that adrenaline kicked in, and he was able to do things on a football field that a lot of people don't. They would probably just say, you know, what, I'm going down right here. I'm just going to go down and take my sack and whatever. But the fight that he has, like the mindset of like, I'm not ever going to just give up on a play. Right. Like that doesn't just happen for everybody. There's some studs out there that are very, very good at, you know, playing the quarterback in the NFL or being a pitcher on a, on a baseball team or, you know, the, the, the goalkeeper for soccer teams. Like there's a bunch of really good athletes out there that can say, you know, I'm beaten. I'm just going to lay down. I'm done, done. Right. Like they scored a goal, whatever. Like, no, there's a fight there that, is not I'm not necessarily thinking that it was taught to him that he just had in him that that he kind of developed and was and 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 made better throughout the course of his year uh, of his career so far right and he's got a very young career he's got a long career ahead of him obviously but I think that's one of the things that he probably focuses on more more so than anything else is like he knows what makes him good he knows the 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 intricacies of like how he runs out to the side and throws the ball underhand and things like that. Like he knows that that's what makes him good, that he even practices the instinctual plays, which is to me a higher level thinking of like, all right, I know that I, I can sit back in the pocket and make these throws. Like I got I'm good at that, but my specialty is being able to make plays happen whenever the plays a bust. Right. And that's what makes, be special so i'm going to practice that as well like not, not a lot of people would practice the 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 rolling out the opposite direction and throwing from a cartwheel position on the right, run right, no, right. No, nobody really practices that but he actually does practice that so yeah. there's a reason why he's good at doing it and stays good at doing it even as his as his uh, career progresses yeah so all right so that brings up another point that i actually meant to bring up yesterday and i think i forgot whenever i was interviewing dmac was because i was thinking about you he was talking about how he had always been a switch hitter and then he was injured and had to go to the right-hand side of the plate, which completely changed his whole game strategy. He had to start hitting pitches, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. the right side of the plate that he had never. So, and pitchers knew that, as you as you would, you'd look at the you'd look at it and go, "Oh, this Fair dude's no longer able to go on the left side of the plate." Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. Sliders away are coming at this. this That's dude right. All you didn't long. know what balls looked like going away from him anymore. <laughs> right, and so he had to really focus on being a right-hand hitter. I remember you telling me whenever they decided to say to you, "Hey." You're a pitcher now, full-time, mm-hmm. all the time, which you had never been. Right. So how important is – and you're talking about Mahomes. This is what makes me think about this. There's my train of thought. He's acrobatic. He does things that are he, – he is able – part of his arsenal is his agility. Mm-hmm. So, he'll, he, so he can focus on some crazy things because he's said in his mind, probably with the help of Bobby Stroop saying, hey, dude – 
here's how I'm going to help keep you healthy, but you can go ahead and do things others can't, and that's your strength, mm-hmm. okay? And so he really works to his strength. You had to, you didn't have the speed on your ball, so you focused on ball placement. People out there right now, that they they, they look at their, their toolkit of personal attributes, as in the business world, and they're an incredible speaker, but they just don't have the ability to do financial analysis. So they're just killing themselves trying to figure out how to whip a spreadsheet and do analysis do the, to really get good at the stuff that they're not good at. If you're coaching one of your athletes, because I know that's what you do, you coach a lot of young athletes now, is your message to them, hey, focus on what you're good at and get exceptional at that thing? Or is it to, no, you're good at that, so let's go figure out your deficiencies and work on those. Which is more important? I think finding out what you're good at and you sharpen that tool. Okay. You okay. sharpen that tool. To me, so I think especially I'm starting to learn this arena a lot more with young young athletes. They move the most purest way possible. Yeah. That That is the most natural way of their movement they have. I don't want to screw that up. The more I tell them to move a certain way is going to hinder their ability to move the correct way because your body moves in the most efficient way possible at nine years old when you're throwing a baseball. It does. It just there's science behind it. It does. When you tell a kid to go run and catch a ball and throw as hard as they can, you take slow-mo video of that. How they get in that position and move is probably the most purest way, natural way that they can throw a baseball. And if I can find that, that, that sweet spot of what they are very good at in that, in that captured moment of that slow-mo video of them throwing, then I can go, all right, we're going to train in that, that movement because mm. that's the purest movement possible. Now, if I start trying to get them to rotate in a certain way at a certain time, then their sequencing of throwing is going to mess up. Now we get their arm slot, their arm, their release points in a different manner. Now they're scattering balls everywhere. So now I go, okay, this athlete does this. He rotates exceptionally well. His arm's in a very good spot. He might not be the prototypical elbow above the shoulder guy throwing from a three, high three-quarter or a high arm slot like every parent wants. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want my kid throwing his arm. It's going to hurt his arm. But if he moves in that manner better, then we're going to train in that manner. Mm-hmm. We're going to train in that, that space because that's where he rotates good from. And most guys, when you, if you – so for me watching this arena, when you, when you see guys – that have been taught, see kids that have been taught to throw the ball from up here, what they're truly doing is pushing the ball forward as opposed to letting the arm lay back and let it roll. Mm-hmm. But if you see them running from outfield and, and doing the most fun thing they possibly can on a baseball field, pick a ball up and try to throw a runner out at home from right field, they have layback on their arm, which is safe, right? But parents and other you know coaches out there think that the layback on the arm is not very good. Well, that, that's not true. It's just not true. And finding that finding that moment of when they lay back and how they lay back and how their body is sequencing because they're very, very instinctual because they're not thinking of anything they've ever been taught. They're going, I got to throw this guy at home. Mm -hmm. They get it and throw it. And it's the most pure uh, aspect that they can. So I find that and they go, that's what they do extremely well. I'm going to train in that, in that space. And kids get better so much quicker when they do that because now they're not thinking, overthinking anything. They start throwing strikes more, which is crazy to think, but it's the truth. Um, we actually, I'm, I'm helping this little team coach right now, and we were, um, we were throwing, we had like five, five pitches, it was three kids at a time, five pitches, five pitches, five pitches. We were going to fastball change up, breaking ball, um, alternating, alternating, alternating. They were kind of erratic, so I was like, you know what, we're going to stop doing that. We're going to be athletes. Uh, we're we're going to stand on the rubber like we're pitching from the stretch position. We're going to lift our leg up, and we're going to step, and we're going to crow hop and throw to the target. So try to throw as hard as you can. Try to break, try to break my target. Every last one of them started just pounding the zone, pounding the zone, pounding the zone. And they were like, well, 
No, but I'm closer. No, it's not that you're closer. It's that you're moving without thinking. You're having fun with it again. So now you're just moving more pure. More pure. You're seeing the target. You're not thinking, okay, I got I to gotta do this. I got to put my arm on that. You're not thinking anymore. You're just moving naturally and moving clean and just trying to take the very best of yourself and go, I'm just going to try to throw as hard as I can that direction. I see the target, but now I have to take my eyes off the target because I have to shuffle and try to get a lot behind the ball. And they, they actually move your brain Solid target. It knows where it wants to go. Your body's going to put yourself in the best possible position to throw it there. Mm-hmm. We just have to tell it to do it in a very, very late manner so it, it makes your body move very, very instinctively, very, very late, and very, very whippy. So it's interesting you say that. I, um, I read a book called Natural Born Heroes. It's a really good book, and it's a, it's a combination of a book about muscle fiber and natural health and how we should – treat our bodies and how we should train our bodies. And, and it's in the, uh, the examples are made through this, this secret mission during world war two on the Island of Crete, where this ragtag group of mercenaries were put together basically to go and take out this German general. Okay. And it's, it's during, and there's the first time outside of Casino Royale where I found out the Genesis of parkour, you know, the kind of moving and jumping over buildings and all that weird right, crap right. that happens at the very opening scene of Casino Royale with James Bond. Um, that was a French uh, method of warfare, how to move and had to bend your legs. And the whole concept of that was to let your body go the way it wants to. And I was reading in that book and it said, if you're stretching and it hurts, stop doing that. Mm. Stretch in the way that feels good to your body. Don't fight your body. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying. And I think that's a great metaphor for if you are not good at a thing, then maybe you shouldn't focus on that thing. Instead, focus. Or maybe on, you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, there you go. Right. Don't just do it fight, all. not just not doing it. And that's what's crazy about it, right? It's like we want our kids, like, and I'm, I'm I fall victim of it as well. I have three kids, like, of like I think this is the best way possible. Yeah. Just because I think it's the best way possible, where I think that you should be doing, my, my daughters are cheer, they, they, they do competitive cheerleading. So, like, if I'm going, hey, I think you should do this on your back tuck, I'm like, well, that, that doesn't feel good to me. What well, you need to do it is how you do it. Like, I've done that before, I fell victim to that before. Yeah. So, and now it's just like, hey, let's just try and we're, uh, let's get you on a little mini trampoline or a little bit, a little bit of spring of your thing and just jump on the couch, just jump onto the something, just do it naturally, see what happens. Yeah. Like, they get, they get better at it, they get far better at it quicker and that's what's crazy about it like I, the natural born uh, heroes is cool because it's that's where your body is just moving straight through instinctual mode because you've never been taught anything yeah right and i think that's where i've never spent a lot of time on stretching and i'll be quite honest with you i've, I've been harped on harped on harped on by multiple multiple condition trainers at bobby Trip, if you're listening you're probably one of them <laughs> but i wasn't very good at stretching i was always very very tight I was bound very, very tight. God made me that way. So it's his fault. But I, I never liked stretching. Yeah. So I just didn't do it. Yeah. Like I would, I would get very, very stable in those uh, areas in my end ranges. I'm very, very stable in those end ranges. But I wasn't, like I couldn't touch my toes. I probably can't touch my toes right now. Mm-hmm. But like I didn't focus on that. I focused on, okay, I can get to a certain point. Now I got to be stable at that point. I, I got to be able to land in that, sp- that spot and not absorb any of the force that I'm about to give up. Right. So if I, can, if I can do that, if I can land in the end range that I'm, I'm in, for me, my left leg, like from a pitching standpoint, Okay, I can't touch my toes, so I'm not going to be hinging as well as some other 
uh, guys might be able to do, but I can block the same way and I can still generate the same force off that front leg. I just can't do it in a manner they I don't look the same way they do it. I can right. still do it the same way and generate the same force, but I just can't look as pretty as they do. Right, That's right. okay. I'm okay with that. I, I, I was born an ugly kid anyway, so like I, I don't need to be pretty doing pitching. Oh, you're a, a very baseball. handsome man. <laughs> you're a very handsome man. You know, so, well, so what have you been up to these days? I mean, I, you know, like I, we, I see you infrequently. You yeah. know, but I catch up with you. You've been staying busy. But see, you mentioned something earlier. You said about since you retired. You're what, 37, 36? 39, 39. Dude, I'm you old. are getting old. Yeah. You are getting old. But so you're 39 and and retired. So you're at the prime of life. You haven't even reached. I mean, I'm 48 and I'm still crushing just yeah. physical fitness and doing everything I can. So you've got so much runway. Dude, is that some people hear that and think, wow, what a dream. Some people hear that and go, oh my gosh, I never really thought about that. A professional athlete, you're 39. What is that like? What are you doing? It's, dude, I don't like it. I like to be busy. I like to work. Yeah, I like you to work. You are a fidgety dude. You yes, are. dude. I, I don't like to sit down. Like my, my wife always, I, I've been joking with her about trying to open up a landscaping company because I'm always out in the yard doing something. Like I'll, be, I'll mow my yard with scissors sometimes just because I'm bored, right? <laughs> I saw but, Ace's little lawnmower out there. Right. Today. Yeah. Yes. To help me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's, um, and I, and I'll even mention on the show, I'm not, I'm not scared to say this. I, I, I text you today of like, do I need to get my shit together? <laughs> like, you know, cause I, I fall into this trap of like, I get, I get so like one sided on or one track mind on a certain thing, like this facility that I want to build, that I want to start to help kids. Right. Like I, this has been a passion of mine for a while now, ever since I've retired getting kids involved in like giving lessons to kids. Like this is a very cool arena to be in. Um, and very cool platform for me to be able to go, hey, you're from White House, Texas, Troop, Texas, Tyler, Texas, whatever it is, and you have a way of getting there. Like, mm -hmm. there's multiple people. There's probably six or seven guys that have been drafted from baseball, and we all know that Patrick Mahomes has been drafted that is doing what he's doing, right? So don't just think I'm a small-town boy that can't do what I want to do, right? Yeah. Like, there's an avenue here for us. And, like, we can, I can see an in-picture here. We just got to stay the course. So like that, that's what I've been focusing on. But like, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Cause I, when we were talking about mental skills earlier, I meant to mention this, but um, I've probably used CC, our mental coach we had in Cleveland more now um, that I've retired than I have when I played. And I'll, I still want to get her on the show. We way. need to get her. CC, get your Cece, bonus show. Come go. on. Um, and she would love to, she would love you, Dude, but awesome. she's a, she just had a baby, actually, by the way. So that's probably why she's not on she's the show. Be, then she needs to shop at Hot Tots and she's there on the she show. Goes. Yeah, we get Cece, one stop shop. Cece, come on, let's do this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's um, so I've kind of neglected my physical health. Like, don't get me wrong, I ride the Peloton. I do go on walks. And I do. I go in the gym probably three times a week, and I still lift weights. But um, I don't have a set schedule anymore, which is very hard for me. I'm very structured. I, I don't seem very structured, but. I am like, I like to have a time. I like to have, someone's always told me what to do on a daily basis. Like Bobby Stroop, for instance, training with him for 17 years. Um, and I would be at a gym at five o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, a set, set time. And he would say, Hey, here's what we're doing today. Do it. Okay, cool. Baseball players are that way. Like you tell them to do something, they'll do it, whatever right. it is. But you, there's no time limit or anything like that. So like me having to get up and like go write my own program and, you know, this is what I want to focus on today. Like, I get so tracked on that. Then I'm like, oh, my kids can do this. Like, my athletes can do this. And I'll start on that. That mm -hmm. So, I've been kind of sidetracked a little bit, which is, I kind of like it because now it's, I'm having to hone it all back in. Like, yeah. try to gather it all and try to get it all 
finally tuned again, which is kind of fun to me because I've always had it kind of dialed in for a long time. And then having this structure, which by the way, I've also been trying to come back to play. Then I had that knee surgery, obviously. So like that kind of derailed a little bit of things too. So now I'm having to write like a retirement speech, which I'm not going to send it in yet because I, bet th- I threw the other day to some kids and I, I really liked it. So I'm not going to turn it in just yet. But um, so then kind of trying to, trying to channel all that energy that I have of like, do I give it one more shot? Do I want my son? Man, my son's four years old now, so he's starting to understand it. Yeah. He sees dad on YouTube now. And he's like, dad, what? When, when, are you, when are you going to do that again? I'm like, oh, crap. So, like, now it's like, do I, do I give it one more shot? Like, give it this whole year of rehabbing and training again, try to do it again? Or do I just kind of say, you know what? I'd just rather spend time with you and the girls and, and Carly and just kind of, you know, make him. Because, like, I've, I've said this before, my, my girls and my son and my wife have followed my dreams for – their entire life. So it's time for me to either make their dreams come true or help them accommodate them, their dreams, or give it one more shot just so my son can actually see me do it. And um, so that he kind of has that, because he's he's been asking me about it. So like he just wants to be at baseball stadium all the time. Um, And then do that. Or do I say, you know what? I'm just going to go try to accommodate their dreams and be done with it. It's kind of a... Kind of a double-edged sword for me right now, but um, that's why I asked Jason Wright to kind of <laughs> hone it all back in for me. But <laughs> he's got this big Jason Wright show oh, that he's too yeah. busy for now. So Yeah, no. <clears throat> well, we, um, you know, I think you are, and I want to hear some more about this. I think we can have some fun with this. So I'm glad. I hear about, I've heard all about you cheer dads. <laughs> I think you talk about making some dreams come true. I mean, be honest, you know, Carly, Carly's not going to listen to this show. The girls aren't going to listen to this show. So let me just ask you, how miserable is a freaking cheer competition? Because every dad I've ever talked to is just a freaking beating. Let me just tell you something right now. Okay. You go for a weekend to watch your daughter's cheer for two and a half minutes. <laughs> and and it's pretty far away. Yes. It's, you guys just went like somewhere really far. Like- Carly went to Oklahoma. We, we have a flight to Orlando in April. Um, oh, my and- gosh. For two and a half minutes. And don't get me wrong. They worked their tails off. They worked their absolute tails off to do this. So it, 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 it's very, re, very rewarding to watch them win and get bids to go to Worlds and do this stuff. But, like, I, I, told, I told my daughters this other day, I said, listen, I cannot wait for Ace. I took Ace to, to Target and got him a um, – or a toy store um, to get him a um, robot that he wanted. And – or not a robot. It was a dinosaur that had his lights come out of it. He saw an ad on YouTube yeah. Kids, and I was like, "All right, cool." So we went there and got it because we went to a cheer competition in Dallas that he was like miserable at the yeah. whole time. Yeah. And the girls were like, "Dad, why don't you give me something?" I'm like, "Well, what are you talking about? Why don't I get you something?" He, he, I got it because he was good at y'all's cheer thing and it was a good little brother. And um, I said, "I cannot wait for him to start baseball, and we have to travel, and you have to go watch him play baseball because those are not two and a half minutes. Those are." Two and a half hours. Yeah. And then he got to sit at the baseball stadium again and wait for the next game. Next game, there might be three games in a day, and y'all got to sit there all day long in the sun. Mm-hmm. I said, I can't wait for it. And they're like, Dad, we're not going. And I'm like, so now you understand whenever me and Ace don't go, that's why. Because it's, it's, it's miserable for him. Yeah. And not that it's not – I don't enjoy watching them. Trust me, I enjoy watching everything that they do. It's a I great a two and a half minutes. It is. <laughs> but the whole rest of the time is just like – it is – let me tell you something. Competitive cheer is a absolute madhouse. Oh yeah, I've heard. It's a madhouse. They are killing it yeah. in this arena. Killing it. I'm talking about huge arenas that they are just completely packed out. It's 
It's wild to watch. It's, I didn't realize it was that big of a thing, but it is a huge, huge thing. Yeah, no, I I hear the stories from cheer dads and like, so my my crowns in heaven that are awaiting me were earned during track meets and volleyball tournaments. And so the track meets, let's start there. First of all, a track meet never runs on time. If it's supposed never. to wrap up at like five in the afternoon, you're going to be there on 930 that night. And we're, we, you know, we're in East Texas. So I'm talking about, you know, going to places like Marshall, Texas, you know, right. a, a Mount Pleasant or places like this. And the best part for me, so Abby and Rylan are one grade apart. Rylan did high jump, first event. Abby, her big event, 300-meter hurdles, last. second to last <laughs> event. So I would be there the entire oh, yeah. time. But that paled in comparison to... And Abby, my youngest daughter, knows I adore her, I love her, and I will walk over hot coals, crawl through broken glass for either one of my girls to get to them. And I proved it because <laughs> she was on she she was JV uh, volleyball. Rylan was varsity. Abby quit before she made varsity, and we would have these tournaments in like Eustis, Texas. Mm. And so you're indoor in Eustis. We would have to drive to Athens to get something to eat, which oh, yeah. was like a subway. And it would be all day long. And it's like, man. So, you know, for those of you who don't think that we dads yeah. put in our time. We put the time in. Yeah. That yeah. happened to me actually like not this past turn, uh, tournament uh, competition. Yeah, tournament. I say tournament sometimes. We're like, dad. And I'll say they're dancing. They're like, dad's cheer. I'm like, okay. What? It's not like a paw paw. Yeah, yeah. Whatever y'all call it. <laughs> yeah. yeah whatever what are the kids are saying these days. But um, my, my daughters do hip hop. They say cheer but it's, it's dance hip-hop dance which is all part of the same uh, organization they're in and they did it that, that was at a uh, 8 30 in the morning their next competition which was just my oldest daughter um was competing that that tournament or that competition and the next next um event was at 6 30 that night so we get to leave you get to leave don't get me wrong but you have to go back to the hotel or you have to go back to this or you can't even go too far away because they have to be there at a certain time to get ready, prepare for their, to go over their routine, to go over there to warm up for their things, for their event, um, or for their two and a half minutes. And so now I have the kids, me and my wife are going to get food um, for them, going back to the hotel because, you know, I'll be damned if the, the competition is at 8.30 and the one's at 10.30 where you actually leave at 12 or 10.30, 10.32 and a half, you can leave and go home you know, two hours away. You got to wait till 530 to get a hotel because you don't want to drive back because there's a competition in the morning. So it's like, I, I did I did that whole thing there two, three weekends ago and I was just like, okay, this is just, real, I have to breathe through this, relax through this, woo saw a little bit, you know, from bad boys. But then <laughs> I was like, you know what? Just, they love it. They've done, they've walked through, you know, the coals and the broken glass for me going to all these different stadiums and watching me play. So it is what it is. I'll, I'll, you know, weather the storm for as long as I can. You know, just just to throw it out there, I think I would take getting to uh, getting the hook up to a uh, major league baseball games <laughs> over cheer competition. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. And maybe they, when, once they get older, they might understand that. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. A yeah, different. going to L.A. and staying yeah. in uh, uh, Ritz Carlton is not yeah, not, not as bad yeah, as going that, to the they, Sheraton. And <laughs> they gutted it out. You know, they're going to have to tell your grandchildren one day. You have no idea what it was like being the child of a professional baseball player. <laughs> We suffered. That's right. Yeah. Now, I hope they're not that way, but they, they could be. 
um, Maggie Williams is their coach, right? Is Maggie there? Is yes. their cheer coach? Yep. So Maggie's awesome. I've known her dad for years and years and years. And so just wanted to get that little plug in there because Maggie is a cool girl and what she has built with her cheer coaching. Yes. Her is, and her husband are very, very opposite people, by the way. It, yeah. I, I love them to death. They're awesome coaches. Maggie's very stern, like very, yes. um, there isn't no bullshit to her, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And and Stephen kind of can can toe that line. He's a lawyer, right? He's a defense lawyer. He could, or I think he, he got took the bar to be one. He is one, but doesn't practice it right now because he's doing this. Yeah. Which, why would you not? Right. But he's very like the kids can joke around with him about it. He can joke with them back, and they you know can go high five him, and um, they can do the same with Maggie. But like they understand, like around Maggie, like if they if they're messing up, she's gonna. Yeah. yeah, and they're and they're like this, right? But yeah. they, it's very very cool to watch them coach together, and um, I think what they're doing over there is very very cool. It's very very fun to watch my daughters get better and be kind of structured into a sporting event. That um, and yes, I will call it a sport now because I watch it happen, so I call it a sport. I didn't used to call it a sport, but I will now, um, <laughs> just because my daughters are in it. But they um they they've got they've learned a lot from from flyer athletics and from um Stephen and Maggie, and so I, I it is. Very fun to watch them compete. Yeah. And um, is it your neighbor's daughter that's like this big and is like and dances? I think she, um, there's one of the girls that, that Jimlin's always showing me videos of your girls and this one other girl. And I don't, maybe I, maybe it's not her. Oh, no, no, no. It's, um, she's real, a real little bitty girl. She's tiny, but she is, but she is amazing. Unbelievable. Uh, they, they call her something, um, I think her mom's name's Rachel, maybe, or um, I feel bad that I don't know. Darby girl, uh, uh, golly, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, but they call her something. I don't know her name. Um, I can't keep up with all the names nowadays. Um, but they they call her something like it's not, it's not Sparky, but it's something along the lines of like Sparky girl or or uh, Darby girl or I can't remember what it is. It might be her first name and girl, but they but they she's just a spark plug. Like oh. No, unbelievable good. I mean, she's like tiny little thing and can like hang with like these teenage girls. Yeah, she's it, on like one of the highest teams. It's hilarious. <laughs> she's watching younger her. than my girls. Like, yeah, she's insane. She's absolutely insane. <laughs> and that's so, cool to watch too because my daughters will be in somebody with like an eighth grader or seventh grader because they're small or they can do the flying stuff. So uh -huh. like they're the flyers, whatever. And so they, they can compete with like girls that are quite a bit older than them. So it's kind of cool to watch the dynamic of like, Sometimes it's just about what your your skill set is, what kind of what we talked about earlier, um, kind of going back to that arena. Like my youngest daughter is very, very small, very, very like can flop in the air and do really cool things in the air. So like she does that. She's like she's on a team that is specifically needs that in her. Right. So like that's what she does. My other daughter is very, very strong, very, very like, you know, got a got a very good, uh, got a base to her, right? So she's holds girls up. So she's on a little team a little bit bigger than her because she's, very good at what she does. She can hold up and tumble really well. So, like, they're on different teams, but they are on the same hip-hop team. But they're on different teams because of one does one thing, one does the other. Mm -hmm. And they're really good at that particular thing. So, they're on separate teams because that's what the team needs. So, they're starting to understand that, like, it's not at all about me. It's yeah. about what I can do to benefit my entire team. And if I can do – I preach this to them all the time. Um, there's a rule in my house. The only rule I have in my house is we can't say I can't. Mm, I, I can't. Like we can't do that. And so whenever they say that kind of thing, like that, they, they, they are starting to understand that now on a team of like, instead of me saying, I can't fly dad, it's like, Oh, I'm better at this. So they start rewording their, their sentences. they like how, why they're used a certain way because of the team they're on. And it's kind of cool to kind of see that happen They're They're all about being good to help the team be 
get the highest score possible, which my oldest daughter, um, and I'll say this for Maggie and Steve on the show, is uh, they were, they got the highest score this last competition they're at. They got like a 94 or 93.5 or point nine two. There's Those numbers, those decimal points matter apparently. But they got the highest score in flyer athletic history since they've been along. Uh, since wow. they've been around. So, like, that was really cool to watch that happen and my daughter be a part of it. So, um, yeah, they're doing really cool things to start to understand the team atmosphere, which is a lot bigger than just one individual accolade. Yeah, and I think that's the cool thing about, you know, youth sports, I don't care what you're doing, it, the good life lessons are learned at – I agree. – in athletics. I think that that is really cool. You mentioned Peloton. Did you see where there will be no more Pelotons in the UFC training facilities? Why not? So – Dana White was on Theo Vaughn's podcast. What a what a what a what a duo! Right, that right there. Those is. two, those two <laughs> characters. Can you imagine? I yeah. No, I cannot yeah. imagine. I would be. A Can't you just like like I didn't watch all the episode, but I bet Theo was like, you know, man, <laughs> if I had to fight somebody, Dana, would it be all right if I just went and bit him in the knee? <laughs> I mean, that's what I'd do. I wow. What a what a. <laughs> A great human being. Like, oh. fun to watch. Oh. So, his the first time I ever saw him was his stand-up act he did where he was talking about being a white kid in a black neighborhood. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> no. no. That, so, when he became a podcaster and became Theo Vaughn, I'm like, why is Theo Vaughn, who is this guy? What? Why Why is he such a big thing? And it was, so that's like, holy cow, that's the guy I had seen in a viral video doing stand-up at the comedy cellar somewhere, it is the funniest, th- and it's so oh. cool because back whenever you could like talk about black and white and, and, and be funny about mm-hmm. it, and dude, he literally talks about how you know, man, he goes, he goes, man, you said, you know, I hear all about that white privilege, and he said, I want to get me some of that, because <laughs> I ain't, and he said. I grew up, man, and everybody was poor. We didn't have any of that privilege. And he's, yeah. he's, just, he's just his whole naive thing. Did you know that Theo, Theo Vaughn grew up in like a uber religious family? I did, did you not know, know this? That. No. Oh, this is awesome. Go look. He like grew up in this very, very strict fundamentalist Christian family. And if I'm not mistaken, you know the Gaithers, the gospel singers? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. They had like a little traveling group. And I think Theo sang in this group. It's like oh, that's that's isn't hilarious. that crazy? That's crazy. I'm pretty. Crazy. Sure, I think I've got this right in because he showed a video. It was on. Um, he was on somebody else's show, and it was so hilarious. But so here's what happened. So he and Dana White are talking, and you know Josh and I are both Pelotoners, and he. Uh, and so this is why I bring this up. So on the podcast, Dana White's talking about how one time an advertiser called him and said. To take an ad off, or don't, don't, oh, oh no. Dana, oh, yeah. Dana had made a personal post about Trump, right? Yeah, about voting for Trump. And the advertiser called and said, I want you to take that tweet down or whatever. It was on Dana's personal, wasn't even on UFC assets. And of course, in typical Dana White fashion, said basically, F you. Mm-hmm. You'll go F yourself, is what yep. he said. And so they were having that conversation, and, and Theo was talking about how whenever he had Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on, that Peloton called either like his advertisers or whatever and said hey don't air that episode with robert f kennedy jr because peloton's a big advertiser of theo vaughn's show dana white says are you serious and he looks over and he's talking to one of his guys that's off camera he said he said are those are those stationary bikes pelotons that are in all the ufc centers 
And the guy, I guess, says, yeah. And he said, out, get them out. They're done. They're gone. I don't want to see another Peloton Good for Dana. in the UFC centers. Isn't that crazy? But, but that's that's the world we live in right now. And I think that's what Dana, what Dana White is doing to me is is phenomenal. Like, t- taking something that, like, you're trying to censor something that America should not be censored from. Yeah, he said, he said, he, he said, um, he goes, it was kind of funny because he goes, you sell freaking stationary bikes for a living. Screw you. Yeah. You know, it's like, just like everybody wants to say like, uh, shut up and dribble or yeah. take sports out of politics and stuff or take politics out of sports. I should say, I agree with that. Like there should be, but like you shouldn't be able to dictate what I can and can't see. Yeah. Right. You should not be able to dictate just because you have money, because you have some kind of influence on advertisement for my show or a, an investment into my show. You're putting my Pelot- you're putting my Peloton model on your show, yeah. and I'm getting mm-hmm. money from you, and you're, I'm going to tell you to not say something, not do something because we don't agree with it. Right? No, piss off. Like right. I, I I completely agree with Dana White on that. Like don't don't tell me my views, or don't tell don't don't try to coerce my audience into believing something that they don't have to believe, or not seeing something they don't they shouldn't see that you don't think they should see. Yeah. You don't have that right to d- d- decide for them. Let them decide for themselves. I posted on this. Okay, this is kind of cool. So I've really gone in hard on my YouTube channel. And by the way, if you're listening to this, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just go do a search on the Jason Wright Show. And it's and I, I really want to do a lot. That's why we've, we're filming this podcast. Um, but I, and so I did a commentary video on this teacher. The video just came out of this teacher having a conversation with a student. And the students says and the students off camera and he's interviewing the teacher and he's as a professor i believe it was uh warren smith i think is his name and he's talking about harry potter because this guy does a lot of videos on movies and film and art and critical thinking and so the kid asks the professor he's like given jk rowling's transphobic statements or bigoted statements or something like that uh do you still like the Harry Potter series. And this professor immediately, very calmly, turns this into a critical thinking exercise. Doesn't jump on the student, just says, well, no, wait a minute. You know, let's talk about this for a moment. You say, how, have you read the tweets? And the kid is basically like, well, no, I can look for them, but I've just, and it, it, and it goes I've along. I've glanced them. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and the, and the the student says things like, I've heard, just heard a lot of people say, and I posted a response video to, one, this was a master class in critical thinking, and two, kudos to this kid, because the kid, by the end of the video, was like, I feel like an idiot, because I hadn't really thought about this, because the, and the professor did not take a stance for or against J.K. Rowling and whether or not she was transphobic. What he did was force this student to truly dissect it and come up with his own conclusion in which the student said, you know, I basically cannot agree that she's transphobic based on what we've gone through here. It was an awesome display. Here's This is kind of funny, dude. First of all, that response video, I got it the first day it went out. And responded to it because I just it meant a lot to me. I was like, "Man, this is the this is awesome." If only we could have this kind of discourse in our country. Yes, to just be able to sit and go. You know, and I even mentioned in the video that like I used to love to watch this guy named Christopher Hitchens. Uh, he was he's an atheist intellectual against like Dinesh D'Souza. They would have debates, and they're both. You're not going to change anybody on Christopher Hitchens' side's mind d- while he's debating Dinesh D'Souza, but 
D'Souza, but both of them were like very good critical thinkers. And so they would come with their facts and just, and truly debate it in an educated way, as opposed to just the group think. And so, but we don't see that much anymore. Every once in a while, you'll have like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris or somebody. So I post it, dude, the next day, this guy has now gone viral, this teacher Every, he was on Piers Morgan the next day. And he actually, the, the teacher before my video, kind of when my video started kind of getting traction, the teacher reached out to me and said, hey, I'm actually the teacher in the video. Thank you for posting this and thank you for the discussion. I was like, how cool is that? That's freaking awesome. Now it is, it is a viral video, this teacher talking to this kid. And it, it goes back to, and the reason why I bring that whole thing up, it's like the whole Peloton deal. It's like what the CEO of Peloton was doing was saying, yeah, be silent, shut up. We're not going to talk about that. You're not allowed to have that view as opposed to, no, let's talk. Let's bring everything up into the air and, and let the market decide. And, and by right. the way, just sell your freaking bikes. I'll tell you this one. I don't know about you. It's one of the hardest things for me about Peloton. One of my favorite instructors that I've ridden hours and hours with still, I'm not going to mention his name still will, but I'm like during the whole um, nineteen through twenty-three era, the, when when America just melted down mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. You, I saw this guy go from being just a good, solid. The reason why he's one of the most popular trainers on Peloton to like, dude, you've just been in New York City too mm-hmm. long. You have drank the Kool Aid. Yep. You've forgotten where you come from because yep. I, I know where he comes from, where he's from. It's an extremist now. Oh, dude, it's. it's- that's that's the problem. That's I, the I once had I was taking a live class and one of the instructors on there said she was wound up about a social issue. Okay, I mean I'm, I'm in a class and she goes, she says, um, maybe you ride to escape. I don't ride to escape, and I'm like, and I wanted to say and I, I'm yelling at my screen. Frankly, I don't give a damn why you ride. Right. Shut your mouth up and teach. Yeah, right, you work for me right now. 100% you do. I'm your customer. Shut up. I don't care why you do anything that That's you exactly do right. other than ride this bike for my exercise. That's what you do right now. And I can, but, I can promise you Peloton wouldn't, if Peloton, if, if they didn't want the certain audience, they wouldn't tell the certain audience not to buy their bikes. Why are they trying to tell the certain audience not to exactly, listen to what they're listening to? Exactly. But you can't be hypocritical on that kind of stuff. That's where the critical thinking aspect of it to me is. It's gone. Yep. It's gone. Because they don't even think about this. Hypocritical. No. Yeah, exactly. We live in a hypocritical society at, at this yeah, moment. Exactly. Free it's, speech for me, but not for thee. That's, what it is. that's right. That to me is like, it, that is, it's ass backwards, yeah, man. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It was, it's been one of the most frustrating things. And I wish somebody would create a product as good as Peloton. Like I think Echelon, they tried to, mm-hmm. they, but if somebody would come out with a better product, I would ditch my Peloton just like that. And everybody knows that I'm like a diehard. I mean, when it first came out, but when we but went, don't through, you go to New York and rather, uh, I did. I've yeah. been in the studio. Yeah, been in the studios. I mean, I'm like, I've got I know you are. Peloton clothing. I mean, I was people, it was obnoxious. How, when I, when Jim Lynn bought me my Peloton, like four years ago, dude, I was annoying. I was posting my results and I, I used to lead these power zone challenges that they have. I'd lead a group. Yeah. I mean, I was all in. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, it's like these people that run this place, they don't like people like me. Mm-hmm. They tolerate, they'll take my money. They'll take your money, yeah. But I better shut up and, you know, I bet, and it's like shouting out certain, um, 
you know, call names for, to, for special groups, you know, privileged groups within the Peloton world. I'm like, and just watching people just play the game. And it's like, just be real. You know, Jordan, Jordan said it best whenever, remember whenever he was playing and he wouldn't get political. Mm-hmm. And I think someone asked why he didn't stand up more for, you know, whatever, whatever. And he said, he said, because Republicans wear sneakers too. That's right. He said, Republicans wear sneakers too. And he's like, you know, and that's if people would just understand we're all in this together, Democrats, Republicans, red, blue, we all wear and, shoes, we all wear jeans, right. we all do. That's right. And, and we're all entitled to believe what we want to believe. That's why we're America. That's why yep. we live in America. If you yep. didn't want to, if you wanted to have somebody tell you what to do, go somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. Or make your own decisions for you, then go somewhere else. But I promise you the same extreme ideas that people are being brought to. That's what I hate about social media. And and social media is a great tool. Don't get me wrong. I love social media in certain aspects of it, but I hate the, the algorithm form of it. Right. Like the whole, like what it pushes upon you because it's to be quite honest with you, it's extreme values on both ends. It's never in between. It's never the critical thinking aspect of it of like, let's make kids decide for themselves what they want to be, like what they want to do. Like it's not push something on them, but it's not like, it's not, you know, propagate propaganda, them, them, them to a certain side of one side or the other. Let's just let them be who they want to be yeah. and then accept it. And if that would be the case, like it would be, th- th- we wouldn't be in the turmoil we're in right now or ha- have been. Yeah. And you know, look, kids are kids. They, they see what gets incentivized. They see what. It's because it, of a button that says like or dislike. Like or dislike. It's that, that little dopamine hit and they know how to go get those likes. And, and even if it means being something that they are absolutely are not. Um, and it's, it's sad, dude. And, and then of course, I don't know. It just seems to get, it gets more and more trying every day. I think the pendulum is swinging a little bit. It's funny whenever you find yourself, someone like me, the, who's definitely more conservative, agreeing with Bill Maher more right. often. I know that's something that everybody says these days, but, and the, the, but the reason why is because for the most part, Bill Maher is a critical thinker. Having said that, uh, Patrick Bet David was just on his show not too long ago, or I guess it was this past week. And he was asking what he thinks of Gavin Newsom. And Gavin Newsom is, I mean, my gosh, that dude leaves a, a just a dumpster fire everywhere he goes from yes. San Francisco to the entire state of California. And Bill Maher says he loves him and he's a winner and he thinks he would, he could win to be president. And I'm like, look, I I just don't understand this way of thinking. It's like there are, there's gotta be a better Democrat than Gavin Newsom out there to run for office. But then again, you look at us, we've got right now, it's going to be Biden versus Trump again. And isn't that crazy out of 330 million people, those are your two choices, America. What the hell has happened? What the hell has happened is money has happened. Yeah. Money yeah, has happened. Yeah, you're right. The, the power has happened. Yeah. That's what happens. Like there's there, there is no there is no like we the people for the people any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. It's who has the most money, who has the most power. Yeah. Let's go with, let's run the office. Whenever people were saying telling Oprah Winfrey and, and The Rock to go <laughs> like, are we serious? Yeah. Are we really serious? I mean, we have some people, we have some very, very smart, very, very critical thinking people in this world right. that could be, become the president of the United States. Right. Right. This is the, the, our choices are sh- shame on, shame on the people. I'm glad you said that. You know, you know who else needs to hear that? All right. So I hear people talking all the time about term limits and th- okay. And I hear it theoretically because we have term limits for the president, but I'm talking about for Congress and the Senate. What? Why? Uh, yeah. Why that? Why that? Not the Senate. 
or, or not not or, to Senate, but why not to politicians? Right, right. Well, here's my point. Or lobbyists for that. <laughs> yeah, right. What I don't like is when I hear that, I started throwing this back because I thought about that a lot. And I was like, well, wait a minute. You know what? Here's the problem. They do have term limits every two years, never six years. It's just people don't show up to fire them. And the reason why is because what you just said, there's so much money determining these, these elections that it's almost a, a rigged system from the word go. And, but I do, I, 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 it blows my mind, the lack of engagement, but you know, we've always, I think that we've had it so good for so long that when you don't, when you've never had to fight for freedom, you don't realize how blessed you are to have right. it. And I think that's what's happened. We, we are, America has become just so, by and large, bored, enough money, not rich, not everybody's rich, but they've got enough money to not hurt too bad. Yeah. And so, therefore, they're just complacent. And, and I think this, that was, what's happening right now with inflation is getting people woke up I hope a little so. bit. And that's what, so. what's that saying is like uh, hard times create hard men, mm-hmm. hard t- or hard men create easier good, time. time, good right. times, good times mm-hmm. create weak men, weak men create yep. hard times. Like yep. the cycle. And we're in that weak men yep. era right now. And that, 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 that's frightening, yeah. to, to say the least, especially whenever there's not – there's not very many weak men running other countries, yep. right? Or weak people running other countries. Not just weak men. It's just a you know figure of speech. But that's that's where it could become very very bad for where we're at in our state of America. Like you know for the border, for for instance, like things like that. Like it's just we have to be at some point in time. We have to look out for the American citizens more so than like what the world thinks of us. Yeah, and at one point in time, it's not. We, we had that, right? Because that's why everybody wanted to be here. Yeah. And then we welcomed you with open arms. And then now it's like we're being taken advantage of. It's not being, we're being taken advantage of. It's just the world knows they can take advantage of us now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's scary. Yeah. I uh, heard yesterday where they're going to be giving out debit cards to they immigrants. Are. And they're going to keep refilling them up to like $1,000 a month per family. And Kathy Holcomb, the governor, is going to start giving immigrants jobs in government to try to get them out of the shelters. And, you know, I think to myself... It's for votes. It's for, it's for power again. And that's what's sad. Because, I mean, I think about that that young American, whether they are first generation, second, third, fourth, I don't care. I don't, when I say that, I mean a, a naturalized American that's trying to fight their way up through, up the, the, the ladder. And, you know, neither one of us, you, neither you or I come from money. I mean, no. we didn't fall into this. Our kids have it better than we had it, and hopefully that will keep going. But, you know, that so somebody that's on that first rung of the ladder trying to climb up, and then all of a sudden they just kind of get kicked aside. And I don't, for a society, that's a terrible thing. And that's one of the things um, I posted again, a video about this the other day, talked about Jocko Willing, who always talks about how he would tell his tr- troops that if we show up and we don't have the equipment we need, good. Right. If something, if we show up and it's just a complete foobar disaster, good. good. Because one, if we're able to bitch about it, that means we're still alive. We still got a chance. That's right. Two, oh, something's going wrong. Good. That's a chance to learn. That's right. A struggle brings accomplishment. It brings knowledge, and that's what I think too, man. That this can all come back to. It's just like your girls with cheer. They're not going to hit every deal. They're not going to win every competition. It's just like Ace is going to learn in sports. You know, it's not always going to go your way. I'm going to get rejected when I ask Mm -hmm. somebody to come on the podcast. This whole idea that, one, not only this idea that 
we're never supposed to feel any form of discomfort, not just pain, just discomfort. You're not supposed to get your feelings hurt. Nothing. Uh, if Not only is that damaging to a soul, but the fact is, and I don't want to wish pain on anyone or myself. Or anybody, I try to avoid pain as best I can, but I can tell you this, man. If you look back at the greatest moments of your life, and I t- say this to the audience, if you will look back through the course of your life, and you were to say, what was one or two moments that stand out as the single greatest moments of your life where you felt the best, where whatever, I can guarantee you there was probably struggle or hard work involved in that. It was not whenever someone just gave you a thing. Oh, yeah, one time somebody came up and gave me a no. free trip to Europe. No, no, no. It was something you struggled and worked. And so... Why in the world more people don't talk about, hey, I don't want you to hurt, don't want you to struggle, but I want you to be pre- prepared for it. And when it happens, kind of like Viktor Frankl, you know, find, you know, man search for meaning, logotherapy. What is the purpose for you in this moment of what's happening? Again, small, minor, tiny, little, insignificant deal. But today, I get rejected by a guy that I want to have on my podcast. So I sit there and I've got to ask myself, all right, what can I learn from this? What can I do from this? Dude, I didn't when you when you texted me, I I mean I was feeling rejection. You asked me, are we still gonna do this today? I was like, I didn't want to, but I said, I know I need mm-hmm. to get over there with Josh. I need to have this conversation. He'll make me feel better. It was crazy, it. but I knew something was wrong with you because you 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 texted me at 6 30 in the morning, then didn't say like what time or anything like that. I was like, Some, something's going on. Like, so he's busy, yes. so I'm just gonna leave him alone. So then I was like, you know what? No, hell no. I'm gonna text him again. I'm gonna bug him a little bit. I'm glad I did. Glad because did but the, the, but to to kind of harp on a little bit of what you just said about feeling that 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 pain, that rejection, that like it and, and structure and discipline, like there, it's very very hard to raise a kid in today's society, in my opinion. And, oh. I, and I asked my mom and dad this question: I'm like, was it like, can you imagine having to raise me? And she's like, Josh, what are you talking about? You would leave at the crack of ass every morning, and not come home till dark right. on a bike in White House, Texas, and I would have no way of getting a hold of you. Right. You have it easy. And I'm like, well, what about social media, things like that? She's like, then turn it off. Yeah. I'm like, well, that, they, they get upset. Well, who cares if they get upset? Do you know how many times you came home that we had to take you to the hospital the next day because your arm was <clears> broke, <throat> but you still rode. Yeah. You still rode your bike. You still came home. Like, and my, the pain in my heart of not understanding, of not knowing if you're alive or not, if you were even coming home that day, like that's, that's pain and struggle too. But when you came home, there was joy. Yeah. Like there's, there's, emotions are there for a reason. Like we should experience these emotions and be able to accept these emotions, right? We're not taught to do that anymore. We're taught to, to toe the line of what we think is accepted by society. We're not meant to bend the curve a little bit and break our arm or, or get our feelings hurt or hurt somebody else's feelings. No. Yes, we are. We should. The most successful people in the world have gotten their feelings hurt multiple, multiple times. Oh. And they, they can tell you right now, they will hurt the feelings of other people in multiple, multiple occasions yep. because they have to. That's how you run a, a successful operation. You have to understand, people have to understand that like what comes with bad behavior or what comes with good behavior, what comes with doing things the wrong way, like being fired or being not accepting into a job is not always because of your beliefs, right? It's because you weren't qualified for the freaking job. That's right. Or you weren't, you just weren't flat ass good enough to pitch in the big leagues anymore or to play in the NFL anymore. You weren't good enough. It had nothing to do because you were transphobic or you were on the right trans, you were a trans advocate. It's not because of either one of those. Sometimes you have to accept the fact that I'm just not good enough. Right. Right. 
yeah. then you go back to yet, yeah. or you go back to good. Yeah. Let me go. We're not taught that anymore. We're not taught to come out of that. Yeah. We're not taught to overcome adversity. Bullshit. Like, my, why not? Why not overcome adversity? That's like the greatest success stories in the world. It's a cool success story of an immigrant coming over here the right way and getting a citizenship and becoming a wealthy business owner or that's a awesome. business. That's a great story. That's what America was founded off of, right? Like, it was like, that's what America can do for people. Yeah. And now that's being taught, like, we want you over here for votes. Yeah, it's sad. And that's yeah. what the American people are starting to, learn, like, hear and learn and being pushed on. Like, the right wing or the left wing, whatever it is, they have an extremist of, like, telling you, well, they're coming over here for this or this, or you need to believe this or that. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, less than 1% of the people in the world are either, you know, extreme this way, extreme that way, but that's all you hear about. Yeah. I yeah. saw something the other day of um, a guy posted, it could have been something fake, but I want, to know, I want your opinion on it about this protest that was going on in front of the Capitol building. And the there's two protesters, protesters out there, and it was blasted over social media, and the guy was like, hold up, check this out. And pans back, pans back from the, um, you know, two or three people that are have these signs up and all this other stuff, and it's like 50 news outlets yeah. that are there. <laughs> yeah. And like and all it. on this two or three protesters, and uh -huh. like there's something wrong here. There is. It's There's something wrong. Manipulation here. of the message. That's right, dude. You should have seen the. Uh, and I don't want to go down this rabbit trail because we'll, we'll really make people mad. And this is not a political show. We're just kind of talking about right. the world in general. But one of my buddies over in the UK sent the pictures from January 6 that were being reported around the world, and it looked like literally the the Capitol was on fire. The lighting is like, and I was like, dude. Due to one of the roles I play in life, I was getting real-time text messages during it. Mm. And literally three hours, it was over and done. It was terrible. It's awful. It, it happened. I hate it. So all the disclaimers. But this picture that was going around the world to grab headlines, to grab readers, and to stoke fear and get people's amygdala all jacked up was just this picture that made it look like the the capital was literally under siege and, yeah. and I, that's what i've learned is and here's a you know what here's the, one of the biggest real life examples so jim and i are going to be in new york the next two weekends abby lives in new york works in manhattan all right there'll be something on the news about how terrible something's going on in new york there's this big thing and so of course as a dad what am i going to do i'm gonna call my daughter right away and say hey are you okay what's going on abby will have no idea what's no happened. clue no clue what's happened she takes the subway. And now, now, by the way, this is not to say there's not problems. There are problems. We they're, they're real. And it scares me to death as a father, again, that she that she's in New York. But she has to take four trains a day to get into the city. She lives over in Jersey City, has to take four trains to get to her work in Midtown. And so she's on the subway every single day. And she said, of course, you know, she's going to keep some stuff from me because she doesn't want me to get scared. Right. But she's like, you know, is... For the most part, she's very rare. She said, yes, people are sitting there. They're talking to themselves. They're talking to their shoes or something. So that's common. But it's not, it's it's fine. But if you know? mind your business, it's, usually people mind Yeah, you. exactly. And so, but the, the, so all that to say, dude, I think what we're saying is, one, people need to harden up and understand and appreciate challenges, but also media stop freaking manipulating us yes, just that's, just that's report the things thing. just report things the way they are because what you're doing is you're scaring the hell out of people and they're afraid to live their lives and mm -hmm. to the point i fall victim to it you talking about what your mom said whenever you would leave the house dude i was over by andy woods day before yesterday i saw these two little boys out on their scooters 
no moms around. And they were probably, they were older than Ace. They were probably, I don't know, 9, 10, something like that. And, dude, I was like, oh, my God, what, what are these two boys? They're just out by themselves. What are they doing? And I was just having like, a damn good time. Having a good time. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap. I used to ride all over Sulphur Springs on yes, my bike dude. from one end to the other by myself. And the same thing. Wouldn't come home till the sun was going down. Now, and this sounds like that old, like, oh, back in my back day. In like, no, days. it's not. Like, you're just still, I still can go on. Yeah. It still should go on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know what I'll say? Kids learn a lot in that free space. Oh, it's so amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'll tell you this, though, that's really, this is what's really frustrating me now. My, you know, I'll have grandchildren one day. My daughters are both out of college, and you've got to worry about this. Not so much here in Tyler, I don't think, but what's in these big, big cities, New York, L.A., different places. One of the things that we didn't have when we were kids, though, is other parents that had no interest in our lives, that had no, just no real association with us directly, wanting to control our lives, wanting us to think a certain way. That's what's really screwed up, I think, right now, is you've yes. got all these strangers saying, this is what your kid needs to know. This is what your kid needs to think. And you got teachers agreeing with them. And if and it's like, that's the part that I think is like, hey, again, going back to what you're saying, let kids kind of figure things out. I tried very hard at a young, at, when my daughters were at a young age, I mean, look, we grow up, we, we live in a conservative part of the state in a very a conservative state and in a very conservative part of the state. Right. And we're Christians and, you know, all that, you know, for my liberal friends out there, I love you, but you will hate my politics. You'll hate everything I stand for because I'm, yeah. I'm old fashioned. But I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to love you. <laughs> I mean, we'll hug it. And I do. I have unbelievable. Oh, I me mean, too. I have so all walks of life. And it's, and it's yes. fun. It's fun because, yes. because we know each other. We can kind of bust each other's chops and have that, that's, conversations. That's, so that's fun. That's what the left and right were meant to do. That's right? exactly. It's so fun. <laughs> Good debates and, and be able to shake hands and go out to dinner and oh. you know, drink a few beers afterwards, whatever, together. Totally. But I try my best to, with the girls, give them both sides. Here's what the Democrats think. Here's what Republicans think. Here's, here's why I think this side's wrong, this side's right, and whatever. And try my best, and they've become who they are. And, you know, um, and I, what I, what, it's awesome now because of that age where I can have really deep conversations with them. And as you might imagine, you know, so Abby, the one that lives in Manhattan, went out to, you know, CU Boulder for college. And so she came home with more challenging questions on social issues, the environment, right. things you'd expect. Ryland went to the University of Alabama. Not a lot, of, not about, not coming home saying, Dad, let's talk about the environment. Not a lot of that coming right. from her. But we would have those conversations and, I think it's important for us as parents, whether you're on the far left, you know, you, the, the motto is to improve always and always. I think one of the things that we can improve as parents, Bon, is if whether you're on the far left or whether you're on the far right, is to, it's, per, it's perfectly appropriate to describe why you think one philosophy or the other is wrong. What is not right is to paint one or the other as evil. evil. And that's yes. what we've done. And a lot of these kids are growing up thinking that, one side, one half of the country, I and mean, we're talking about literally about 50% of the country isn't just wrong about economics, social issues, but that they are evil. evil. And 
that's that's where because then if, if somebody's evil, then all bets are off. Well, that's why there's no right and wrong anymore now. No, it's all there's it, no right and no, wrong. It's, it's by like, any means necessary. Yeah, We're it's, at it's war. by like oh, this, this we should hate these people. Yeah, we hate or we should evil. love these people. That's right. Like love and evil don't that that's not what we're trying to go after. Right. We're not trying to like decide whether we love or e- love or hate somebody. We're, we should be figuring out what's right and what's wrong, and then helping each other build on the building blocks of what right and wrong is. Exactly. Right. Not not love and hate. That, yeah. That's where we're kind of getting confused. That's where we're crossing the lines, I think. And I think it's really cool what you're talking about with the parents stuff because, yeah, I would have parents, my, my friend's parents would beat the crap out of me if I came, if I said like <laughs> yeah. a cuss word at their house or yeah. something like that, right? Exactly. And it wasn't because they they thought it was evil. It was because there was discipline. Like they were right. going to respect the older yeah. the uh, elder person of the house or the whatever. And it was like, and I think what you're going to about like the, the, what we're taught as parents and what we, the conversation we should have. And I think is, is dead nuts, but it's also like, it's hard for us to understand what our kids are actually seeing nowadays because it's absolutely immediate. Yep. Anything they can want or know, they don't ask the parent anymore. They don't have to, they can go, I don't want my mom and dad to know I'm looking at this. So, yeah. Oh, that's it. And, or go to Instagram, Twitter, or X, all this stuff, and say, you know, type in the, the topic they're looking at, and then the algorithm will say, where, from where you're at, yep. the extremist on it. Yep. Well, that to me is like where media and where the higher-ups in the world have absolutely failed the American people Agreed. and the world in general. Agreed. Like, they're painting a picture to you based on where you live, based on the the morals of where you live and the, the the demographic of where you live of what you should believe and what if, and it's not like, here's the topic on it. It's the, here's the evil of it. Yep. Yep. Immediately. It's extremists of it. Yep. And that's like, that's what's so terrifying about, uh, the, the whole like social media aspect for my kids and like my kids won't have it, but they, uh, I say they won't have it. They will have it. I'm, I'm not naive. Promise. <laughs> they will have it, but they will be very, very restricted on how they, few things and they will be basically based off of like, we're going to have conversations on it. And I hope one day our education system can go from being in a classroom of 25 kids in a chair, listening to one teacher talk. They can actually understand the social issues that are going on in America and how algorithms are meant to tease you. Yeah. I hope our, our education system can evolve into teaching that aspect of it too. Cause let's be real honest. No one's balancing a checkbook anymore. No. no. Okay. Let's, no. let's, let's be real. It's called spade to spade too. It's we're not balancing checkbooks. We go online and look at it, right? right. So let's teach our kids about social issues, social um, platform issues, not the social issues that's right. going on in the world, like social platform issues of how do we navigate through that? How do we conform ourselves not to be so one sided on likes and dislikes? And let's teach our kids this. Yeah, because that's 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 professional athletes. We have a two week class on it every year. Really, and it's grown men. Wow. At six o'clock in the morning and like, hey, these are what bots look like. These are what bots are trying to do. Really? Like, I oh, didn't know God, that. yeah. So we, we need to like, because there were targets, right? Yeah, that's, and that's now cool. social media is going to target kids as much as want to target professional athletes and probably actually more so they can corrupt the minds as, as much as they want to. But like, sure. that's where I think like the, the whole critical thinking aspect, which you went back to earlier with that professor that you posted about is like, if we get back to critical thinking yeah. as a society, and as human beings, like, yeah. and that's when we improve all ways and all ways, right? Exactly. We have exactly. to. Yeah. God willing. 
Well, dude, welcome back. Yeah, dude, I love to be back. This, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be sick, yeah, dude. I mean, look, we, need, we need your sign up. We need, we need to put it up there so people can see what it's going to look like eventually. Well, I think Let's our camera's it. already stopped. I think that, you know, I got to get, oh. I got to get a camera. I got to get, I got to get the sign up. I got to get us better chairs. But, the, but you know what? It's that first baby step, right? You got to. Well, it's, it's just, it's just going ahead. How do you, how do you eat that elephant one bite at a time? We took a little nibble today. And, uh, so I, I appreciate that. That's good content out of it. I think so. <laughs> I think so. It's, it's always a good conversation. This is like one of our, see, that's the thing that's fun about having you on. If when we're together, this is what we do. And by the way, in case audience hadn't noticed, we will rant about 30 oh, different yeah, topics. Dude, yes. That's probably all my fault. No, but. that's both of us. I think we both our our, our brains get like, like just fire d- doused <laughs> yeah. on whenever we get together. So this is fun. And, um, with that, brother, I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, man. Always good to be here. All right. Well, we're going to do more of it more often, and we're going to get you lined out. I Let's guarantee you. All right, brother. Thanks, Josh. Well, that does it for this episode of The Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out. Thank you.